scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the prophet Micah. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the Lord, the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. It's the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Before we begin our sermon this morning, I just want to say a word of appreciation and thanks. This is the second time I've done it this morning, and so if, if you hadn't gotten mad at me yet, it might be coming. But John Ricketts, we are so grateful for you and all that you've done. This is John's last service with us as our interim director of worship, and so we give thanks so much for just the ways in which you've led us during the season to have you be in this role again and just create incredible worship services and white Christmas and all of it was just so wonderful. And I know that our whole church will love to show you our appreciation once again. So thank you. John. Now, will you pray with me as we prepare to consider these words? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. So I wonder this morning, have you found wonder? Particularly, have you found wonder yet during this Advent season? Because I'm pretty sure that that's the feeling that we are all searching for this time of year. We want wonder. But wonder is a tricky thing. You see, it is being surprised by the very thing that you were looking for. That might have sounded a little strange. Let me say it again. Wonder is being surprised by the very thing you were looking for. It's okay if that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because this is the season of things that don't make sense. This is the Advent season and the Christmas mysteries. Last week, all of Advent, we talked about these mysteries and how we believe in the incarnation, that Jesus was fully God and fully human, and that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You cannot explain that. We believe in the mystery of the kingdom of God, that somehow the kingdom of God is already and not yet. How two things can be in both realities, we cannot explain but for the practical purposes of this sermon this morning, the most pressing mystery for us to consider is the mystery of wonder. And I'm curious whether any of us can be surprised during a season that is so familiar. Can we be surprised during the times where we tell the same stories once again, where we sing the same songs we sang last year, where we keep the traditions that we've kept year after year after year. Is there any wonder for any of us when we already have a pretty good idea of what we're looking for out of the next seven days? 
But then I think about a child's Christmas list. And that's the same mystery behind the things they ask for, isn't it? The sense of wonder. I mean, I, they know what they asked Santa for, but still they wonder. Somewhere in the back of the minds, they consider that when they open and unwrap that gift that they've been dreaming about and they hold it in their hands, is there a chance that it could be even better than they imagined? I think that's the same desire we all want as gift givers, right? Every time that we give somebody a gift, we think of like the perfect gift to give someone and, and we want to see the joy on their face when we give it to them. But the real magic is when they open it and we can't help but wonder if their happiness or their appreciation or their joy could even surpass our expectations. That's what we're all chasing. That's what we're all looking for in this paradox of waiting. Advent is the season of waiting, but what we are actually waiting for is something more than all we can imagine. It's a paradox. It's a mystery. We are waiting for wonder. This is the fourth week we've been considering these prophecies from the Old Testament. All of the Advent season, we've read about how God promised that one day Israel would see all that it had waited for. God promised that the Messiah would bring peace and restoration and even eternity. Because of these promises, Israel had known for hundreds of years what they were looking for. But what the Israelites struggled to accept and what we today struggle to accept is that God is capable of keeping every one of his promises and still managed to do so in a way that entirely surprises us. God can surprise us even if we know what to expect. And so I pray in this season that is so full of expectations that we are able to still make room for surprise. Because the experience of wonder depends both on our expectations and God's ability to surprise us. The truth is that surprise is just as much a part of God's promises as anything else. And out of all of the promises God made in the Old Testament through the prophets, there was one promise that, that should have been the most ordinary and obvious, but still turned out to be surprising. That was the one we just read about a few moments ago. I mean, when we consider it in relation to the rest of them, uh, it is so cut and dry. The previous three promises we considered, peace and restoration and eternity, there's always going to be some room for interpretation about what those look like. They kind of have surprise baked in because they can be a bit nebulous in our minds. But the promise that came to us from Micah 5 is just cut and dry. But you, Bethlehem, though you are smallest among the clans of Judah, out of you will come the one who will be ruler over Israel. The promise is the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. It doesn't get any more obvious than that. Because I'm, I'm not sure how to measure world peace but you can clock the distance between Jerusalem and Bethlehem from the capital to this tiny town. If you look at Google Maps, it's about five, five miles. And it's still, in its own right, is kind of a surprising city. Uh, you know, to this day, 18% of its population are Palestinian Christians, who used to be the majority up until the 90s. In Jesus' day, it was a long walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Today, it's just a short drive. But it still continues to be a, a very small town. It used to be the outpost for shepherds, but today it's home to about 25,000 people. It's about the size of Daphne, but a lot poorer. 
All of which is to say that Bethlehem is a city that we all know the name of, but we never have thought that this town has a whole lot going for it. This has never been the town that stands out among the rest. It is the smallest among Judah. But still, several thousand years ago, it was the birthplace of a shepherd named David. And David ended up being the greatest king in the history of Israel. And then several hundred years after King David, there was a prophet named Micah who promised that on God's behalf, he said the Messiah would also come from this tiny, insignificant town. The most concrete promise that anyone ever made about the Messiah was that he would be born in Bethlehem. But the Gospel of Matthew tells us in that first chapter that when these things came to pass, there were some wise men that came to King Herod in Jerusalem, and they said, We are here to worship the newborn king, because we have seen a star in the sky. Could you tell us where he is? And according to Matthew, Herod didn't have a clue. So he asked his scribes and his scholars and his priests and the teachers, Where will the Messiah be born? And Matthew says they replied, and didn't even have to consult their notes, they just knew from their own minds, In Bethlehem of Judea, and they quoted Micah 5, so that there were wise men, they went up from there to go see Jesus. It's kind of astonishing to me that the people who knew the Scriptures the best, these ones who didn't even have to look to see what the answer to the question was, were the ones who wondered the least. I mean, they knew this promise. They knew that it would come from Bethlehem. They, they knew what it meant, but they had not in, been inspired enough to like search the stars like these wise men had. They hadn't even like kept a close watch on Bethlehem. They don't have somebody reporting back as to whether or not there's a Messiah that's been born. They don't even wonder enough to go with the wise men. I mean, they might have. We don't know, but the Bible sure doesn't say that they did. None of them said, hey, this is so important, I can't miss this. Let me come along with you guys. Or I'm just wondering, even if this is real. If that happened, Matthew didn't say a word about it. And Herod didn't even seem to really care all that much. And I think if that in and of itself doesn't humble us, that very little will. Because I think we can be just like that. I mean, think about it. Think about the fact that it is entirely possible for God to answer every promise right in front of us, even the most obvious and concrete one, and that we still might miss it. We might miss the most tangible and obvious answer. And it's not because we haven't studied his word enough. It's not because we, we weren't invited to the party, but simply because we could not accept that any part of it should surprise us. We are a people who are not very keen on surprises. I mean, we, we are so sure of everything in our own lives, and we convince ourselves that we know all that we need to know, and so we have no room in our minds that we could be surprised by something, even by God. Like I said, if that doesn't humble you, I don't know what will. Because I think it's a fair bet that every single one of these teachers and scribes, they know their Bible better than any of us do, myself included. And for the record, I put my Bible knowledge up against just about anybody else's. And that's not as a, a boast, but just because when you go into profession, you have to learn about that profession, right? Like if you're in the, some sectors of the finance industry, you got to take a Series 7 and study and learn the content. Brianna had to go to nursing school and be able to take the NCLEX. Like you have to study the different things. I had to go to seminary and learn the Bible. 
It's part of my education. But I bet if you put me and Michael and Kathy and Wilson, all of us that went to seminary together, we still didn't know nearly as much. We wouldn't know as much as these scribes and these Pharisees and these teachers because they memorized the scriptures. They were the ones who translated the scriptures. They copied them for other people. They debated the scriptures. They built devotional lives around their knowledge of the Bible. And still, despite all of that, they missed it because they couldn't accept the surprise. They couldn't accept the fact that there might be something they don't know or that they don't understand. I mean, I don't know why. Maybe Bethlehem was just too small or too unimportant for them to take seriously. Sure, yeah, it's in Micah, but I can't really. It's got to come from Jerusalem, right? Maybe the wise men were just kind of strange. They came along with their horoscopes, and they're like, we don't hang out with horoscope people. Maybe Herod was just too much fun, and they didn't want to cross him. Herod, although he ends up kind of playing the villain in some of our gospel stories, was one of the greatest kings for the Israelites in 600 years. If you go to the Holy Land today, most of the things that are still standing there are things that were built by Herod. And so maybe they didn't want to cross this guy who just lived so large and was so prosperous and they wanted to, you know, make sure that they didn't upset him. I don't know what was on their minds. All I know is the people that should have known the best were the ones that wondered the least. They couldn't accept the the surprise of it all. And so they missed it. And today we hardly even mention these people, right? They're the, they're the other characters in the story. Every year, we talk instead about shepherds who had probably never even read the Bible, who couldn't read. We talk about these pagan wise men that were not Jewish or Christians. They were just people who followed the stars. We tell a story about a man named Joseph who was ashamed when he first heard about the surprising way that God was coming into this world, but learned to accept it. We tell the story about Mary, who knew better than anyone else just how surprising God can be. Just how surprising God can work. And instead of questioning it or not accepting it or refusing to acknowledge it, the Gospels tell us that she treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. As Jesus grows up and to to hear him tell it, he never stopped being any less surprising throughout his life. He continued to answer promises and questions in surprising ways. He told the Pharisees that the tax collectors and the sinners would enter the heavenly gates before them. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells one parable after another in which people are caught by surprise when the kingdom of heaven shows up unexpectedly, right? He describes them as bridesmaids who missed out on the wedding or as servants who bury their talents in the ground. Jesus says that that one day he'll gather all the nations before him and everyone will be surprised to discover exactly when they did and did not accept him. Jesus will say that some people will not handle that surprise very well. They'll become defensive. They'll ask, when did we overlook you? Why didn't you tell us you were there? And to those that might have been more righteous but still surprised, he says this. They will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you stranger and invite you in? And Jesus will reply, truly, I tell you, whenever you did this to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Surprise. It was me the whole time. Last week, we said, if we know any one thing about God's kingdom is that it's eternal. Well, that's true. But if there's anything else we know is that it's full of surprises. 
For some, like Herod, like the scholars, it is full of, of surprises that makes them become defensive. When, when they realize that they've overlooked Jesus or they, that they aren't sure of what to think or do, they, they become racked with fear. You know, if God can still surprise us, then they'll think it means that God has somehow tricking us or that God has broken a promise or changed a promise or is doing things they can't accept because they can't believe that anything should be different than the way they thought it should be. They can't believe that they too can be surprised. But God's promises have always included the grandeur of Jerusalem and the poverty of Bethlehem. The Israelites and the Palestinians, the the shepherds and the wise men. And I'll admit it, this whole surprise business is probably the hardest part of the journey of faith. My own personal journey is probably more struggle, just just not able to comprehend in the area of surprise than anything else. I mean, strange as it sounds, I I find it easier to believe in peace and in restoration and in eternity than I find it easy to believe in being able to be surprised. Because it's easy to believe in the abstract, like peace is out there somewhere, that one day God will bring peace on earth, that that things will be restored, that eternity will be real nice, and that that one day all this stuff will win out. But it's much more difficult. It's harder to trust that they're here when they show up in a concrete way on your doorstep. It's easier to believe it in the abstract than to see it in the present. I I don't like being surprised. I want to know all the things I need to know. I mean, I've structured so much of my life around avoiding surprises. I mean, I tell every person I work with on staff, like, I don't mind being, if something doesn't go right, I just don't want to be surprised by it. We have our routines We have uh, the order of our lives. We have our Christmas checklist to make sure everything this week is perfect, right? You got all the gifts done. I bet everybody in here has got every shopping. You're all done with your shopping. You got everything on your list. You got your your turkeys being basted. You know, you've got everything getting ready for, for people to come over to your house. It's been cleaned. You got all the checklists done, and you don't want any surprises this week. Of all weeks, this is not the week to be surprised. And yet still, here you are. Here we are in the very thing that is designed to surprise us. Week after week, we come to worship. And what is worship supposed to be but a chance for us to encounter God? And how does God encounter us but to do so in a way that is more than we could imagine? That is to be surprising. It's always a surprise when we come and we see who showed up here today. Who showed up here today for the first time in a long time or who we've never seen before? That is a wonderful surprise. It's also the surprise of who didn't show up today and what is going on in their lives that might be surprising and how might might we be called to fulfill a role for them. It's a surprise when when we come here and we hear the Word of God read and proclaimed and we believe that this Word can inspire us to change our lives. I mean, that is why I do what I do. That is why we write sermons and preach. If I didn't believe in that, I wouldn't do this. We believe that in worship, God can surprise us in such a way that it can inspire us to change our entire lives. To stop doing something, to start doing something, to turn from one thing to another, to find hope when there was none. This is a place where surprise, it's almost like it's where it's born. But when it's really born in God, And we come here 
to encounter God, to be lost in wonder, love, and praise. You know, friends, there's no power in this world quite like the power of showing up in a place where God can surprise you. Whether it's your church or your neighborhood or even with your family, where God can surprise you and that you accept it as an invitation and not as a threat. I think we are very good at accepting surprises like they're threats because they're different. It's not what we had planned. It's not how we had imagined it. But we worship a God that can do more than we can ask for or imagine. And so if we limit God to our own imagination, then we will never be surprised by what God actually wants to do. That is the power in letting wonder remind you just how much you actually do not know. Just how much there is still to learn. Just how much more God wants to do for us than you could ever ask for or imagine. And after all, wouldn't it be a shame if we all tell the stories of Christmas again and we consider all these promises of God, but we still manage to miss the wonder? I pray that today and especially this week that you will encounter God and that it will be surprising, and that you will welcome it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.